from the rigors of seminary life up in New England. And while we were at home on that particular occasion, one of my college roommates uh, came over to visit, and he just simply could not get over the fact that the guy he knew in college was preparing to be, in his words, a preacher. He struggled reconciling the guy that he knew and who I had become in Christ Jesus. And maybe you've had that same situation. Maybe you've thought of, I'm not the person that I used to be. And I want us to think about this today, that that owning who we were is key to understanding what we've gained and who we are in Christ Jesus. Owning who we were is key to understanding and appreciating what we have gained and who we are in Christ Jesus. This, I believe, is what the Apostle Paul is showing us in these first verses in the second chapter of the book of Ephesians, which we're returning to today after a rather extensive break for Advent and Christmas and the New Year. So let me review just a moment what we've talked about already in the book of Ephesians. As we look at the book or the letter as a whole, we can divide it into two sections, chapters 1 through 3, which deal with orthodoxy, Christian truth, and then chapters 4 through 6, which deal with orthopraxis, or in light of those orthodox truths, biblical truths, how then should we live? And so that's the letter of Ephesians in in just a broad brushstroke overview. And then as we began to dive into chapter 1, we found Paul describing the Trinity with regards to the plan of salvation. You may remember he dealt with God the Father and his sovereign plan in electing some sinners to be his. And then we looked at God the Son and his meritorious work of redemption. And then we looked at God the Holy Spirit who applies, seals, and guarantees the work of the Son to the church. And so in chapter 1, we we considered glorious truths about God and about us and about God's wonderful plan of salvation, His purposes in election. And now in chapter 2, especially chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, we begin to go deeper into that plan of salvation, in particular, the work of the Son and why we must be saved by grace and through faith. And today, in verses 1 through 3, we look specifically at our need. In case you haven't figured it out, this may be a news flash to you. Mankind has a sin problem. 
Of course, you already know that because Bill prayed about all of the evil that is taking place in our world today. But I want us to approach this not just taking the Apostle Paul as giving some some lofty theological treatise that might be for academia about the nature of man and sin. No, he is very personal. He says you, and he says we, and he includes himself, and he says all mankind. This is not some theoretical problem. This is our problem. And if God doesn't come and deal with this problem for us, it will never be dealt with. For we simply do not have the ability to dig ourselves out of the hole that we might know as sin. And so with that in mind, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. We'll, we will look at our former state, our former life, and our former nature. So follow along in your Bible as, as I read. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out our de the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind." So we'll be looking at our former state, our former life, and our former nature. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. God, our Father, we do ask for your grace and for your mercy as we come before you this hour to reflect upon this reality. And in so many respects, Lord, this is a difficult passage to read where it reminds us in such real ways of our former life, but it also prepares us to rejoice in your rescue of us from sin and death and Satan. Today, remind us who we were that we might better understand and appreciate what we've gained, and who we are in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. All right, well, let's turn to the, the former state. And the Apostle Paul in verse 1 tells us what this former state is by saying, you were dead in trespasses and in sin. And the Greek word trespass is best understood as just simply walking down a path and falling by the wayside. And then sin, at least the Greek understanding of it, is best understood as missing the mark or an, or an offense against God in the case of, of our passage here today. And when we take 
that, that by nature we are dead in trespasses and sin, we can just simply understand that is that we are born a sinner. We have a sin nature. We'll talk about that a little bit more. And out of that sin nature, we actually commit sin. And we can define actual sin as any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. And maybe you are familiar with that definition, and you should be because it's from our shorter catechism. Well, there's an error that we run across from time to time. And in our day, I know our culture's changed so, so much that it seems like fewer and fewer people are even concerned about sin and don't even really care much about what the Bible says about heaven. But generally speaking, over my, my lifetime, I've, I've run across people, in fact, used, I think I used to be one of these people, who if you were to ask them, you know, what is the, what, what is the nature of man, what might they say? Man is basically good. Have you ever run across people like that? And then if you were to ask them, how does one get to heaven, given they even understand the question in our day, and I don't say that critically about anyone, I mean, that's just where we are. We're in a post-Christian world, aren't we? At least a post-Christian country. How do you get to heaven? I've heard it said a hundred times, well, if I'm good enough... God will let me in. My, on God's great balance scales of righteousness, my, my good outweighs my bad. Well, does that measure up what the, what the Apostle Paul is teaching us here in Romans, or in Ephesians chapter 2? It doesn't measure up Romans either. It certainly doesn't measure up Ephesians chapter 2. No. It is an error. Here, here, here is the truth. Paul is showing us that man is not basically good. Man, by nature, is a sinner. And, and if you look at verses 2 and 3, you see the Apostle Paul talking about the fact that, that the Ephesians and Paul, even, even believers, were at one time following after the course of the world. And in so doing, they were actually following after Satan. Then later in verse 3, he, he says, like all mankind... We are objects of wrath. In other words, Paul is making a universal statement here that mankind by nature is dead in trespasses and sin. They are sinners. Bill read in Psalm 51.5, Behold, this is David, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Jeremiah 17.9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Romans 3, 10 through 11 and verse 23. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God for all of sin and falls short of the glory of God. That little phrase, you are dead in trespasses and sin, refers to what we know as the doctrine of total depravity. And the total in total depravity does not mean that man is depraved in degree. In other words, it's not saying man is as sinful as man can be. It is saying man is, is in extent depraved. Every molecule of the human condition is sinful. Let me illustrate this. Renee 
fixed a wonderful meal one evening. We were sitting down to supper. I was hungry, and I began to eat. And I noticed some anatomical changes or physiological changes, not anatomical, (laughs) physiological changes that were taken. Renee's good, but she's not that good. (laughs) As I was eating that dish that she prepared, that was tasty. I noticed that, that I was beginning to sweat on the top of my head. And then I realized that my lips were beginning to burn. And I was processing this as quickly as I could, trying to make sense out of these changes that I was experiencing while enjoying the the, the delicious meal set before me. And I said, honey, (laughs) this meal is a bit spicy hot. (laughs) And I said, what did you put in it? And she said, well, I think there's cayenne pepper in it. And I said, honey, how much cayenne pepper did you put in it? And she said, oh, just a little bit. And so I kept eating, and before long, there were sweat drops just rolling down the side of my face. My lips were on fire. I, was, I said, Ray, go get me some water. I mean, I couldn't even hardly get out of my seat. Just a little bit of cayenne pepper set this old boy on fire. Now, I do not want to say that Renee's cooking is equated to total depravity. That's not my purpose. But, but, but what I, I, I would suggest is that the little cayenne pepper that, that caused my physiological changes is very much what it means that the human condition is corrupt, corrupt in extent. That every single molecule of our being, soul and body, is corrupted, is tainted with this sin nature. Every person by nature is a sinner enslaved to that sin nature. Listen to what our confession says, that we are by nature wholly defiled in all faculties and parts of our soul and body. And as having lost all ability of will to any spiritual good accompanying salvation. And is not able by his own strength to convert himself. Total inability. Back in my former life, I worked at a hospital. And as this happens often in hospitals, individuals pass away. And one of my jobs was to assist in, in, in taking care of the deceased person's body and I I came to appreciate the term dead weight because if you've ever dealt with a dead body that dead body if someone if I if someone is trying to help me I kind of want to help them a little bit that dead body can't assist at all That dead body can't ask for help. That dead body can't do anything. Physical death. Paul equates, or spiritual death, he equates with physical death. We are 
as dead spiritually as a person is dead physically when the body has died, is the only way I know to say it. We are, by nature, like Lazarus in the tomb those three days, dead. And if God had not, if Jesus had not called Lazarus forth, he would have continued in the state of death. And his body would decay, and the course of nature would unfold. You know, next week we'll look at the, the, the new life that we receive. But, but for today, I want what Paul says here. That all mankind is by nature dead spiritually in trespasses and sins, total depravity. And owning this former state is key to understanding and appreciating what we have gained and who we are in Christ. Well, not only does Paul talk about our former state, he talks about our former life. And if you look to verses 2 and the first part of verse 3, you'll find our former life is described as a life as sons of disobedience. Paul says our state is we are sinners. And now he moves to our life is sinners, what? Sin. (laughs) Actual sin. And so he begins to describe the life of the sinner. You know, what if God had not rescued me from my sin. What would have happened? You know, and in fact, when I think about God rescuing me from my sin, a big part of that is God rescuing me from me. Because if God did not intervene and rescue me, I would have continued living a sinful life. The only thing a sinner can do. And I want us to look at this description that the Apostle Paul gives. A sinner is bound to sin and sin and sin and sin. Look at Paul's words in verse 2. That the sinful life is a progressively sinful life. Paul describes it as a walk, a progression. I'm I'm reminded of Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, very familiar passage. And there the apostle Paul speaks of natural man suppressing the truth of God, idolatry, and then sinning, but also we see Paul describing the progression of sin, not only a person sinning, but coming to the place of encouraging others to sin. And if you read Romans 1, 18 through 32, you will see this this spiraling down of the progression of sin. And I will tell you, in our culture today, we not only observe people sinning, we not only struggle with the remnants of our sin nature, but we see people encouraging sin. Bill mentioned abortion. Don't you see 
People being encouraged to have abortions, encouraged to be dishonest, encouraged to violate the marriage vows, encouraged to violate gender. And we don't really, well, we go to Romans 1, 18, because it's the Word of God, but we're living in it today. If it were not for God's common grace, this whole civilization would have spiraled into oblivion long ago. God restrains evil and sin. It's a blessing. It's a progressively sinful life. It's a rebellious life. Paul says that that life is characterized in verse 2 as as sons of disobedience, rebels. All men are by nature rebels, disobedient. And we turn to Acts chapter 19. You don't need to do that, but just know that in Acts chapter 19, Paul's ministry in Ephesus is described there. And one of the things that, that we learn that I think demonstrates man's tendency, man, really man's state and, and nature is to be a rebel, is the fact that idolatrous worship at the temple at Diana was a main feature of that ancient city. And the Apostle Paul and the church had to navigate that the entire time. The entire time Paul was there for almost two years. It was a culture full of rebellion. And you look at our day, how many false gods are up front and center in our own culture that would lead any rightful thinking person to conclude that culture, by and large, is a rebellious culture. It's not only a progressively sinful life, it's not only a rebellious life, but it is a life of bondage. Interestingly, in verse 2, we're, we're told that Paul includes himself, even the Ephesians, and of course all mankind follow the course of this world. And if you follow the course of this world, that is, this, 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 this world that is in bondage to sin, you're ultimately following the prince, the power of the air, Satan himself. The spirit that is at work in this world is the spirit of Satan that generates sons of disobedience. Satan is leading in rebellion against God. And all those who are dead in their trespasses and sin are actively participating in his agenda to overthrow the kingdom of God. They can't help it in many respects because they are in bondage to death, to sin, as well as to Satan. It's a life of bondage. And fourthly, it's a life of solidarity. In verse 3, Paul reminds the believers in Ephesus, among whom, as he's talking about this, this sinful culture, this sinful humanity, all this pagan idolatrous worship, in Ephesus, all this ungodliness, all these ungodly people, the Apostle Paul says, among whom we all once lived. 
among whom we all once lived, living the same way in passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and our mind. You know, when, when we encounter a really bad sinner, our tendency is to judge and to say, oh, but for the grace of God, there go I, right? And there's some truth to that. But I want us to think for just a moment. True, but for the grace of God, there go I. But it was God's grace that brought us out of that life, wasn't it? And the point that I want to make, sometimes we use that phrase, oh, but for God's grace, there goes I, to shield us from the reality that we were that guy. Oh, no, we might not have been the murderer that he is. We might not have been the adulterer that he is. We we, we might not have been the thief that he is or the abortionist that he is or whatever it might be, but we're of the same stock. We are sinners by nature. There is solidarity with those who are dead in trespasses and sin because we were that. That was our life. I've, I've mentored a number of young, young inner city boys through the step ministry. And I remember on one occasion I had two little inner city boys before me and we were going through a Bible study and I just, I was asking them questions and I thought, I'm going to stop asking these kids questions because I just really have difficulty identifying with their life. I mean, here I am, a white guy from West Little Rock, in their eyes, I, you know, I, I've got it all and there they are normally without a father in the home, um, not saying there aren't men in the home, because oftentimes there are many men coming through the home. Uh, food is scarce. If they have it, it's usually not all that healthy. I mean, <laughs> you just assume plant me on Mars than for me to be in the inner city try to understand <clears throat> what these, um, these inner city kids have to go through. But then I began thinking, if I think deeply about this, I have a great deal in common with these inner city kids. We come from the same stock. And when we begin saying that we have solidarity with natural man, Instead of being judgmental, instead of just simply almost braggadociously saying, but for the grace of God, there go I, we begin to actually have compassion because we were that guy. We begin to want to love them into the kingdom instead of rebuke them for their trespasses and sin. Owning the fact that we were sons of disobedience is key 
to understanding and appreciating what we've gained and who we are in Christ Jesus. Well, Paul not only reminded the Ephesians of their former state and their former life, he turns to their nature, their former nature. And the phrase that he uses here is that of being a child of wrath. Look at verse in the verse 3. The reason for the, the state of dead and trespasses and sin, the reason for the sinful life as a son of disobedience is because of this, that by, by nature, mankind is a child of God's wrath. And I see here the doctrine of original sin. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 3, we are told that sin came into the world because of Adam's disobedience. He sinned and became a sinner, and now the offspring of Adam and Eve inherit that sin nature. Children are born sinners, and guilty before God, and unless God changes them redeemingly, they continue to be sinners, guilty before God. And it's all based on the fact that we have inherited this sin nature from Adam and Eve. Listen to Paul in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. And the reality is that the little babies born, the little infant there, has not actually committed sin, but before God, that infant has a sin nature and is guilty and will live in light of the consequences of that unless God acts redemptively. That's the doctrine of original sin. We sin because we are sinners by nature. And we continue to sin and our destiny if God chooses to leave us in the state in which we were born is hell. I want you to think with me for just a moment about uh, traveling in a foreign country and you want to get to some destination far away. You don't know the language and so you've got to go by train. And so you figure out, buy your ticket, you figure out the train you're supposed to get on. And you get on this train, and then the train leaves the station. It happens to be a direct train. It's not going to stop. I mean, you're on for the duration. And so you're sitting there, and all of a sudden you realize that you're on the wrong train. In fact, the train that you are on is heading in the opposite direction which you intended to go. What are you going to do? You have no way to deal with it yourself. You're stuck. And you now have a new destination somewhere in some foreign country. And maybe some of you have experienced that if you traveled abroad. Now, the analogy falls down a bit, but, but here's 
why I told you that story about the train, not that it's ever happened to me. We are born inheriting the train. We're on a train. It's not that we made a mistake getting on that train. We were born on this train, and the train's destination is hell. And unless God chooses to rescue us, we will arrive at that hellish destination. So what do you think about that? It's sobering, isn't it? Think about your own life. Think about your friends. Think about your family. Think about people you know. We all know people, people that we love, that are on that train. At least as best as we can determine they're on that train. We really don't know for sure, do we? But unless God does something, they are hell-bound. You know, we need to come to terms with, with this. Owning the fact that by nature, we are sinners, we have a sin nature, and bound for hell is key to understanding and appreciating what we have gained and who we are in Christ Jesus. Our destiny and our destination is heaven, not hell. We are not called sons of disobedience in Christ, but sons of light and life. We are not dead in trespasses, but alive in Christ. Next week, we'll look at at the realities of grace and faith. But today, we have looked at, at our need for grace and faith to rescue us from that former state, from that former life, from that former nature. I'm not the man, the person I was in college but I was that guy and you see that's Paul's point for us to remember we were that person before his grace broke through in our lives and the apostle Paul shows us this very thing in Philippians chapter 3 the apostle Paul recounts who he was before his conversion, Pharisee of Pharisee, a persecutor of the church, a dead sinner living a sinful life out of the sin nature that he had. And yet he recalled that now as a converted person and said this, but whatever gain I had in that former life, I count as lost for the sake of Christ. Dear brothers and sisters, don't let someone tell you, move past the way you were. Forget about it. It's only what lies ahead. And there's some truth to that. 
But that doesn't seem to be what Paul is saying here. That it's a healthy thing to look back and to admit, to own, I was that person. But all of that is lost to me for all that I have gained in Christ and who I am in Christ Jesus. And we see a beautiful illustration, this, this very principle, remembering who we were to celebrate what we've gained and who we are in Christ on a grave marker of all places, on an epitaph that is over a dead guy's body where he was buried. And of course, it's the grave marker of the great John Newton hymn writer, pastor. And this is what we read, John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith, he had long labored to destroy. I was that guy. And owning that makes me all the more understand and appreciate what I've gained in Christ Jesus and who I am in Christ Jesus. As a response, let us turn to hymn number 460 and sing the words that John Newton and as we stand and as we sing, may this be the concluding prayer today. Amazing grace.